Episode 32 of the Photon Podcast. How do you chase and work DX? We're going to learn all about it coming up. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photon, the other ham radio podcast. Sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. That's right. Welcome into episode 32. I am your host. My name's Kale. My call is Kilo for Charlie Delta November. I'm a general class amateur operator here in the upstate of South Carolina. This is episode 32 of the Photon Podcast. If this is your very first time, welcome in. And we hope that you stick around. Listen to a couple of more shows. Give us a chance. Maybe we'll become your favorite podcast. That's what we're shooting for. And uh, we're, we're having a good time doing it. We're doing it a little bit over a year. And this podcast, the Photon Podcast, is aimed directly at the new guy. Just getting into the hobby. Maybe you're out there teetering. Don't really know if you want to become an amateur radio operator or not. And we're trying to provide you information to help you make an informed decision whether or not you would like to jump into the hobby. It's not just for those guys, though. We have folks who listen from across the spectrum of amateur radio operators from around the world, and we appreciate you coming back with us every single time. Got a great show coming up. We're going to talk about DX here in just a couple of minutes. But first, let me remind you of my friends, Christy, Richard, Tammy, and Danielle down there at Main Trading Company, mtcradio.com. Matter of fact, as I'm recording this program today, releasing it, I am anticipating Finally, I finally got my money together and I was able to purchase a new Kenwood TMV71A dual band mobile transceiver. I'm really excited about that. And of course, where did I order it? It and the new Comet antenna came from my friends down at mtcradio.com. I tell you that to tell you this. If you need any gear, whether it's brand new, it's used, repacked, antennas, wire, connectors, whatever you're looking for for your amateur radio gear needs, Give them a call. Check them out online, mtcradio.com. I guarantee you you'll find what you're looking for. So in just a couple of seconds, we're going to get to the interview with our guest today, Bruce Jewett, Whiskey One Golf Quebec. Bruce is a contester DX chaser extraordinaire from southern New Hampshire. Now, that's still really far north of me, and he says he has about six months of winter a year <laughs> compared to what we're suffering through down here in South Carolina. But either way, it's a great show, and i got to give a shout-out to my buddy George. George, thank you so much for helping get this together. You guys know George. George has been on the show many times. He's going to be on here today, as well as some upcoming shows that we've got lined up as we continue to learn about this vast hobby amateur radio but today we're going to talk about dx and we'll be up with bruce in just a sec this portion of the photon podcast is brought to you by icom america's ic 718 hf transceiver with its easy to read display push button control panel and factory dsp the 718 is the perfect hf starter rig for the new ham or even an experienced operator who is looking to add a solid no-nonsense performer to their shack Visit mtcradio.com to order your ICOM IC718 today. Okay, we do have Bruce with us. It's, uh, his call is Whiskey One GQ. I like that. Golf Quebec. Bruce, welcome to the Photon Podcast. Glad to be here. Bruce is a friend of George, and we all know George from the show in the past. And even though he continues to tell me how to say his last name, I'm not going to try it again. But George... Welcome back to the show. Thank you for being with us as well. 
Hey, Keo, my pleasure. George and uh, George and Bruce have known each other for quite a while and really want to uh, share with you. George thought this would be a, a great topic, and it's funny, George, because we have been asked about this time and time again, and I'm glad we finally got someone we could talk to regarding what is DX. I mean, we talk about it uh, here on the show. We, we try to... We try to talk to guys that are new, that are coming into the show and uh, coming into the hobby. You want to make sure that they're getting an understanding. But sometimes we still get crazy with those three-letter, or this in this case, two-letter acronyms. And uh, appreciate you putting this together. And uh, really look forward to discussing what is DX and how do I do it. Thank you, George. You bet. All right. So, Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been in amateur radio, and what do you do? We know your call is uh, Whiskey One GQ. We don't know if you've ever been on the cover of the magazine or not but we can appreciate your one-by-two call for sure. Well, thank you, uh, Cal. No, I haven't been on the uh, cover of uh, GQ magazine, although I probably could be. How about that? There you go. So, uh, no, I'm from uh, Southern California, born and raised in uh, Palos Verdes. In fact, uh, W6AM, the legendary uh, Don Wallace uh, Rombic station, it's an old press wireless uh, broadcast station during the World War II uh, era uh, was literally up the street from me. So when I was a child, around 13 years old, uh, several of us would ride our bicycles around Palos Verdes, and lo and behold, a couple old gray hair guys uh, at the W6AM station invited us in. Of course, today you'd probably run the other direction because you're fearful of these kind of uh, folks uh, inviting you anywhere. But uh, my buddy and I uh, went inside uh, to the uh, station or the shack. Uh, it uh, was enormous. It, uh, it's worth Googling. He had uh, rhombics uh, in all parts of the uh, world. Uh, it was on about 3.5 uh, acres of land uh, just for the antenna farm alone. Uh, he didn't live there. Uh, he lived in Long Beach, uh, but this was his shack. And in today's dollars, it was probably $100 million worth of real estate. But back then, he bought it for a song. But the bottom line is, uh, as a child, uh, either you went into that uh, ham radio shack, uh, that was 1969 to be exact, uh, and either you uh, caught the bug, which I did, or you ran out the back door and said, boy, that was some strange stuff. Uh, but that was the uh, the long and short of uh, uh, a ham radio uh, career that uh, spans all the way today, and I'm extremely active. But I, it all started uh, with uh, kind of a chance in, encounter with uh, what I consider one of the biggest uh, stations on uh, planet Earth back in the '60s and the '50s. That's uh, definitely a way to get your to get your appetite wet for sure to come into something like that. Well, like I said, either you get uh, hooked or you uh, get scared, uh, and I certainly uh, bet bit the. Uh, Got the bug uh, all the way into uh, uh, a license in the 70s and uh, started uh, what I would consider a very modest uh, ham radio station uh, to where I've got a pretty good uh, installation today. Well, tell us a little bit about that because, you know, a lot of guys, uh, they, they, they really don't know where to go with their gear. Uh, and some guys come in thinking, okay, well, I've seen pictures of this guy's shack and it's massive and that's what I have to uh, aspire to to become a, an operator. Uh, some some people go that direction, some people go minimalist, but tell us a little bit about what you work on in there in your shack. Well, in today's uh, shack, it's, uh, it's quite substantial. I've, uh, I'm a serious contester back here in W1 land. Uh, I live up in uh, southern New Hampshire, right on the border of Massachusetts and, and uh, New Hampshire, and we've got uh, an acre of land, we've got four big towers and, and a substantial uh, uh, station, and I've been in the contesting uh, world for, for quite some time. But back to your original question, which is uh, where to begin and, and you know, how to begin. Uh, frankly, you know, Sunspot uh, Cycle you know, plays a, a big role. 
Uh, the fortunate part for me is when I caught the bug in 1970, um, the 10 meters and the sunspot cycle was, uh, well, 10 meters was, uh, was very active. And, of course, uh, because of the sunspot cycle being at its peak, in a very modest station, I mean, I had a, uh, a wire at the back door and a, uh, what I consider a, just an awful uh, receiver and transmitter uh, in today's standards uh, and uh, was able to, to work uh, DX. And uh, uh, frankly, uh, you know, with a very modest uh, radio, uh, getting back to W6AM every time he was on, of course, that radio would just fry. I mean, the front end of that receiver was just uh, overloaded with the station. But when he's not on, a uh, very modest station, uh, I was able to, to work several uh, countries. And, and, of course, that led to uh, uh, you know, a long, long uh, career in ham radio. Fantastic. Now, your interest, I'm going to guess here, you really enjoy contest, contesting, working overseas, working DX. Is that, uh, is that where you find yourself the love of the hobby right there? And is it uh, digital modes or is it voice? Which one do you enjoy the most? Oh, I'm a, I'm a CW guy. Uh, in fact, you know, I started, uh, it was pretty much you had to learn CW. Of course, uh, your novice test back, back then uh, right. was a requirement into an advance and extra. Um, and I'm a, a still a very active uh, CW operator. But no, I think the, the real joy, uh, contesting is an interesting uh, uh, you know, pivot off of uh, uh, DXing. Uh, that's just massive uh, DXing in my book. Uh, <laughs> when, you, when you're working uh, 48 hours in CQ Worldwide or ARRL, uh, it is just, uh, it's all about working as many stations and as many parts of the world as you possibly can. But it all goes back to, to DXing, the fundamental is just that joy of uh, working a, a distant land. I think I was talking to uh, uh, George about this uh, uh, three or four weeks ago. You know, I can still uh, uh, sit in the shack at three in the morning with my eyes closed and, and get that same feeling that I had when I was 13 years old about just working some foreign land, whether it be Japan or or even some uh, at that time, which is pretty pretty hard for me to work from Southern California into South Africa or something of that nature. But I still have that feeling today after all these years, and I've been a ham for decades, and, and uh, that joy and that feeling still with me uh, to this uh, to this moment. That, that's hard to explain to people uh, like my wife, who has. <laughs> why would you want to go sit in your barn and talk to somebody when you have a family of beautiful people here in the house that would like to speak to you? And uh, it's just it's just the magic of radio. I don't have any other explanation for you, sweetheart. It's just the magic of radio, and it's us geeks embrace it, and we don't know why you can't. Right. Yeah, well, the other thing too, you know, being a from Southern California, where you know you just simply can't put up a a couple of towers, and I moved to New Hampshire and put up four big ones, uh, you know, all 130 feet, big big stack Yaggies and all that kind of stuff. And my wife looks out the back door and wonders what the heck happened here. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's part of the magic of the hobby. It just continues to uh, to grow. Right now, like I said just a few minutes ago, we a lot of times we get caught up in the hobby, and in any hobby that we have, we we get caught up with these acronyms that make us. Uh, we can speak the language. It's easy for us. We know what it, we're, we're talking about. But Delta X Ray DX is what we're going to talk about this episode this time through. And uh, we've got Bruce with us. His call is Whiskey One Golf Quebec. And, and we're talking DX. DX is contacting a foreign station, uh, hearing a foreign station, connecting with a foreign station, making that distant connection. Is that, is that a good, solid definition for the, the term DX? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Spot on. All right. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, making DX contacts. Uh, right now, I, I don't get a lot of time to operate 
my furthest contact is Japan on I was on 20 and I was running the random wire eight feet off the ground 100 watts I was totally stoked that I got Japan couldn't believe it uh, and that's kind of my most rare DX that I've gotten uh, but tell us a little bit about why what what's the draw what makes us why is that important to us in the hobby that we want to make these foreign contacts well I think it's the challenge of it for sure um, you know one of the things that I I just continue to challenge myself with work every country in the world um you know work every country in the world on all bands uh you know the AWRL uh, has uh, the DXCC uh, awards program uh, and I encourage your listeners to go to go there and and uh, you know take a look at uh, what they offer uh, my challenge is uh, I've worked uh, all countries in the world except for North Korea <laughs> uh, I've actually worked North Korea but uh, the QSL card doesn't count it has to be credited and of course, uh, there's all the the world tension. But um, so you know, when you look at uh, these challenges, you know, working uh, DXCC uh, all bands, all modes, working all all parts of the world in CW, whether it be uh, ten meters, that, you know. So there's all these different uh, uh, types of awards, and for whatever reason, uh, that caught my fancy. Uh, some people don't care about uh, awards; they just look at it as uh, you know they'll work the countries, and and that's just the thrill of it by itself. But for me, I like a challenge. I like to be able to uh, to you know aim for something, and and uh, you know one of these days I'll work North Korea, and then then I can actually uh, say that I worked them all. But I can't say that yet. <laughs> Almost. Almost. But you have to have something to aspire to. Well, yeah, and the other thing that's fun about uh, DXing, uh, and it's, it's, you know, you affect my children uh, as they were growing up, now they're uh, through college, but, you know, you become very aware of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at a map in, at midnight and you're working different parts of the world, you become very familiar uh, with, the, you know, obviously the geography of it all, but also what happens uh, politically. Um, there's several countries uh, over the years that I've worked that have changed uh, either the regime, and, and so they don't count as a DXCC country, or uh, other ones have added onto the list. Right. Uh, as it turns out, I've worked um, uh, more countries than they, than they exist uh, in the DXCC award because I've worked several countries over the years that are no longer accredited, well, they're credited, but they're no longer accounted as part of the DXCC. So you can actually work more countries than the uh, AWRL DXCC uh, uh, allocates. It's fantastic. Now, I've got a Kenwood TS850. I've got a Kenwood TS50. Uh, I know George has uh, a garage full of rigs. Um, he's got a KX3. Of course, everybody... Let me ask you, Bruce, do you have a KX3? Oh, every, yeah. yeah. Everybody sure. does. Everybody. That, that's the everyone, everyone that comes <laughs> on the show has a KX3 except the host. Well, but there's a little story around that. I was with George on a business trip. I think we are in Japan, someplace on planet Earth, and he convinced me to swipe my credit card and go buy one. Uh, and I don't, <laughs> but I don't. I have like, to add that was a that was a K three to start with. So, you know, uh, that's so, true. so so Bruce, you know, of course we sit there. You look at the all the options for the K three, and he he filled in all the check boxes, not sure what they were, but you know, <laughs> you got to get all the things. So so he got a pretty tricked out radio. Well, there we go. We we can't get Bruce. You may not realize this, but we can't get through a show without someone talking about having a KX3. And I just had to go ahead and get that out of the way because we're going to talk about equipment and what type of equipment we use for for DXing. Uh, can can it be anything anything HF? Can we do any gear HF uh, to do DX work, or do we need specific gear? And uh, I mean, can you do it on a budget? Can you do it with a 
with an of course with an unlimited budget you can do about anything you want but can a poor broke guy that's getting started in the hobby he's got his general license and he really wants to try something fun can he get in there and do that uh, and and what sort of gear would you kind of uh, what, what would come to your mind to work the DX well you know i the answer is yes uh but you can use anything it, it all depends on how hard you want to work at it i mean again when i was a, a young child I had a wire antenna, and I had just an awful uh, receiver and transmitter. I'd, I'd better put out 20 watts, and, and uh, you know, you've got to work it in the sense that you have to make sure that you're optimizing uh, the different parts of the world, what time you're going to be working it, uh, how the sunspot cycle's reacting. Fortunately, when I became a ham operator, the sunspot cycles uh, were at the peak, so 10 meters was uh, very active. And I remember working uh, you know, probably 20 watts into an antenna, that was pretty, you know five feet off the ground working Japan on ten meters because when ten meters it's red hot it's red hot. Right. Now on the, on the flip side of that, uh, if you want to work uh, one sixty or eighty meters uh, with a wire antenna and ten watts, you might as well just go in the backyard and start screaming because there's no use, right? <laughs> so it all depends on on where you want. You know, wh- and the other thing too, and this is why I love CW Sidarn much. It's a very efficient mode. Um, in fact, it's just a wonderful mode uh, when you haven't got much power. Uh, you don't have a big antenna because, again, you know, you're not competing against that wide bandwidth you are with SSB or other modes. Uh, it's a very, uh, very elegant mode for low power. So go back to your original question. I, I, I'm a firm believer that you can use very modest equipment and, be, and just have nothing but fun with it. And I think that uh, a lot of people use uh, QRP as a challenge. Um, I keep threatening George that one of these days I'll do a QRP contest and I haven't done it yet. Uh, but uh, you yeah, know, something's going to freeze over when that happens. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I again, you go from you know, I, and I've done it right from a very small station in Palos Verdes to uh, what I have today, which is a very significant station with big stack Yaggies and all that kind of stuff, um, and everything in between works just fine. I like to be uh, very commanding on the bands when it comes to DXing, but um, you know, it, it, I, I could certainly use QRP and, and keep be very patient and work it as well. So it all really comes down again to budget and then desire to make it work. I think that's exactly the the equation. The desire, if you have that fire in your belly to work uh, various parts of the world, uh, and you have a, a, a small budget you want to manage too. Then you got to put in the equation of patience and diligence uh, to to ensure that you know you could you got to fight when when these DX especially the rare ones let's use Bovet which is going to come up here in, in 2016 in January um, I remember when that thing was uh, on in 19 probably 91 I think is the last time they were operational it's the number one uh, sought after DX uh, in planet Earth it's an island down in the Antarctic. Um, you can't get there without having helicopters and icebreakers. It's a real challenge. And I just remember that uh, working my station here in southern New Hampshire, uh, fighting thousands and thousands of people calling simultaneously uh, for that one station sitting on the island in Antarctica. And you've got to be incredibly patient. You have to be smart the way that you chase that DX2. In other words, if that station is listening up, and slowly moving the VFO up the bands and down the bands. You kind of got to get the behavior of the operator on the other side. And once you understand that behavior of the operator, then you could be sitting on that frequency when he's swinging that VFO up or down the bands. And you can, you know, so, so you got to challenge yourself to listen, listen, and listen very carefully before you start calling. You know, that we've, we've discussed in the past uh, about listening and how important that is. 
And it hit me today. Uh, it's funny that you brought that up. This is a little off topic, but it hit me today. Uh, we have two ears, one mouth. And we always hear in, in amateur radio to listen, 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 and then listen again. And it's the same way. You know, we, we learn a lot more when we have our mouths closed and we're listening than we do when we're flapping off at the jaws. So uh, I think it relates to, to, to our lives as well. I just That hit me earlier today, and I was like, wow, that kind of works together. Uh, but yeah, listening is so important. Uh, tell us a little bit about just a, a little off kilter here. Tell us, you're talking about finding how the operator on the other end is operating. Is that something that comes with time? Or are you just, you're following this guy so closely, you're able to kind of track what he's doing. Explain that a little bit to us here. Yeah, exactly. Tracking what he's doing so you can be at the right place at the right time. Again, when you're working uh, DX, uh, especially the rare ones uh, like Bouvet, chances are he or she are going to be listening off the band 5 to 10. And, and, you, and, and they're going to be spreading all over the place. So if you haven't got much power uh, and you have a modest antenna and you're running CW, um, you want to make sure that you're going to sit on that frequency at the exact right time. Now, that's a challenge in itself. But, but again, you want to make sure that is, is that behavior, if that person is going, jumping around, that's one thing that you see, they'll, they'll go up five, up 10, back down to five, you know, back up to 10. So they kind of go between two or three different uh, frequencies. Mm-hmm. Or they're taking that VFO and kind of drifting slowly up the bands. Most of them will drift up the band. So listen five to 10 up, and then they'll take that VFO and go up five megahertz and then back down and just kind of sweep back and forth. Because what they're doing and, I, and I've been on the other side of this, so I, I clearly understand this. There's thousands of people calling them. There's no way that your ear, especially if it's CW or sideband for that fact too, but there's no way you can, you can detect and, and kind of move people uh, away so you can listen to one station. You've got to kind of tune around a little bit to make sure that you can hear this person. So listen, listen, listen. And then the other thing too, if that person does call you back and you've got a modest station, be sure you're listening to where that frequ- the, the the person, uh-huh. uh, so you know what to do, right? I I, I remember when I was just a, a very young DXer and I and I worked somebody. I didn't even know I worked them, uh-huh. um, you know. And and someone told me that they heard me uh, make this contact. I didn't even know I did. So, you know, in order to make a, a qualified contact, you've got to do the exchange, and you got to make sure you listen and heard that he he or she actually called you. Uh-huh. I got you. I got you. Got you. a lot of got a lot of moving parts. I guess is the real real uh, real point there. Well, you can't be lazy. I mean, you get you're going to be on your toes when you're when you're working, especially in pileups, especially in rare rare DX. Uh, it wasn't long ago that, uh, of course, they had a lot of people, uh, you know, bringing QRM on top of the one of the last D expeditions. I can't remember the name of that one, but it was huge, and everyone was wanting it, and it was just a terrible mess. Uh, but uh, I think that. At least all seven hundred thousand amateurs in the U.S. decided to get out, get out at one time and try, and <laughs> you know, I mean, if you think about it, if it's the most rare DX on the face of the earth, anyone with an HF rig is going to be trying, or at least probably seventy five, eighty percent of those people, all at the same time. Well, absolutely, and and if you if you've got a big station with a lot of power, uh, you know, you can you know cut through the uh, through the noise. Uh, but again, I, I look at. You know your listeners, everything from a modest to to you know a DX heavy duty DX station. Um, you know you want to make sure that you're you're carefully planning each one of those calls because seven hundred, as you say, seven hundred thousand people calling simultaneously. Uh, that can be that can uh, emails us go do something else because yeah. you're never going to get through unless you're you're very careful. 
Which which kind of leads us to the next thing here, uh, real quick before we go to a break, and, and we'll, we can come back if we need to if we don't get it all. But just curious, uh, my favorite band to operate on is Twenty Meters. I just love Twenty Meters. Uh, that may or may not be the best band to operate uh, for for DX, not not uh, DX expeditions notwithstanding. Is there a better band, or are all bands fair game? Good question. I, I think all bands are fair game. I, I you know, certainly I have a, a substantial uh, antenna arrangement on twenty. But uh, you know, again, daylight sunspot cycle up ten meters can be the most fun band in the world. I, I have to say, in fact, I remember this is not this sunspot cycle, but the last one. Um, this, it was so highly charged the ionosphere that I could send CQ. Just hit a dit, and I could hear myself go around the world and hear. You know, it, it took about. <laughs> About uh, half a second, and I could hear my so so when you have that much uh, you know uh, band conditions or or op, you know when ten meters is is really rocking right. like that it, that's that's a fun band. On the flip side, though, when the sunspot cycles down, uh, ten meters can be the worst band because nothing's going to happen. So then you go the other direction, which is uh, you know one sixty and eighty. I, I have to say, I think every band has its challenges. Your question is, you know, what band's the the best? It, it depends on sunspot cycles. Depends on the time of day for sure. But also, uh, every band has their challenges. I like one sixty. Um, I've got a pretty darn good uh, you know beverage and verticals and all that on on one sixty. That has its own challenge because of the noise, the absorption. Um, you know, it. But but there again, working DX on one hundred and sixty uh, from New Hampshire into Europe, that's a huge challenge. But it's a challenge that I just really get a thrill out of. Unlike twenty, where I could probably roll on any day of the week and do twenty into uh, into Europe, uh, one hundred and sixty is not that way. So I like that challenge. Right. Either you know, all ends of the band. So I like all bands. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, maybe that's why I like twenty so much, just because it's easier. Yeah. Well, the pit, yeah, it's true, but there's everybody else feels that too. So I like to go. People are not. Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going to take a break real quick. We'll be back with Bruce and George. Uh, Bruce's call is Whiskey One Golf Quebec. We all remember George KJ Six Victor United, and uh, we'll get back here in just a couple of minutes and continue talking about DX and the joy therein. Back in a few. This is the Photon Podcast. Maine Trading Company, celebrating six years in the amateur radio business. Visit the website www.mtcradio.com and be sure to give us a call if you don't see what you're looking for. And if you happen to catch Danielle on the phone, she's our latest employee at Maine Trading Company and she just got her tech license. Congratulations to our very own Danielle Varner at Maine Trading Company. Give us a call for all your ham radio needs, 903-737-0773. This portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by Kenwood USA's TMV-71 dual-band mobile radio. The TMV-71 is a real performer with true dual-band operation, cross-band repeat, weather alert, wide receive, detachable face, and even a TNC data jack for packet and APRS. Run the rig that I run, the Kenwood TMV-71, available now from mtcradio.com, mtcradio.com. All right, uh, we're back with Bruce and George, and we're talking DX here on this episode, this this uh, time through on the Photon Podcast. We appreciate you being with us. We've been talking, we, we touched just a moment on bands, and uh, I just heard something on Skype. Oh, George has a question. George, give us your question. 
Well, just a, a thought here, Bruce. Uh, you know, you talked about 10, 20, 80 uh, across the bands, and I'm curious what you think about the work bands because when a lot of guys are looking at what kind of antenna to put up, uh, putting a lot of bands on requires more antenna gear, and is it worth setting up your station to cover the work bands? And well, Skype got him. Did you hear the end of that, Bruce? Yeah, I did. It, okay. it centers on the walk bands. I mean, I I, I do have antennas uh, on uh, you know the walk bands. I, I I like working them. The reason I don't spend a tremendous amount of time optimizing the station for them is, uh, frankly, most of my efforts are centered around contesting, and you can't contest on those uh, on those bands. But uh, working DX, uh, there's nothing better than uh, 24 or 18. Uh, 24 has similar uh, behavior as 10 meters, so kind of. You know, it depends on the sunspot cycle, but 18 is just a fun band. So I do have a, a good size uh, antenna on 18, and, and I've worked a lot of DX on those, uh, on the work bands. With, uh, with, with the change up of our sunspots, and we know that it's been down, although 10 does have its great days, and they're usually when I'm unable to get up here to the shack, it seems. Uh, what, what, are you, what are you anticipating for the next couple of years uh, regarding the sunspot activity and uh, DX? Well, it's going to continue to decline, and and uh, but you know I look at the other side of that, which is you know ten and certainly fifteen will get challenged, uh, but then the noise goes down, uh, and when the noise goes down, eighty, one sixty uh, become a very and certainly forty for some, you know a little bit, but uh, eighty and one sixty become the bands. In fact, uh, working uh, DX on 160 at the peak of the sunspot cycle is incredibly difficult because of the noise. Uh, so it depends on how you want to, you know, lay out your your challenges uh, for DXCC if that's one of the things you want to go after. Uh, when the sunspot cycles down, uh, pick up 80 and 160. I think they're just wonderful uh, challenges. If if you were a new guy, you'd been licensed for three, six, eight, nine months. You were a general class or an extra class, and you were interested in starting to, to do some serious DXing. Uh, you could put up one antenna, single band. Where would you go? I'll go 20. I would definitely go 20 because it, it takes, you know, it's right in the center of, uh, of the excitement. Most uh, DX will, you know, they'll, they'll be on 20 somewhere along the line. Uh, and then the other, it's, uh, it, it certainly is affected by the sunspot cycle, but it, it's not like 10 where it's going to shut down for years at a time, right. or 160 where the noise is going to be so high at the peak of the sunspot cycle you can't even work anything. Tell us a little bit about the gray line because I know that that plays a large, uh, it's, it's a heavy-handed item regarding DX. Certainly in the low bands. Um, you know, I've... I, again, work a, a lot of contests, and, and uh, when that gray line is, is coming up into Asia, uh, when you're sitting in New Hampshire, uh, it's really hard to work the low bands into the Asia region. In fact, at times, it's just impossible. And so I follow the gray line. Um, you know, 160 or 80, I'll make sure that I'll op- you know, I'm listening and I'm optimized uh, for wherever that gray line is falling, um, into Japan or wherever it may be. Uh, and it's a fun time, and it's a very it's it, it's it's a it's an unusual uh, phenomena too because you can hear the noise. Let's say 160, you can hear the noise. All of a sudden, it quiets down for just a brief period. Stations will come out of the noise. You can hear them, work them for as fast as you possibly can if you're into uh, DX and 160, and then it'll go it'll go away just as fast. So that that gray line following the 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 transition between night and day 
uh, is just a it's just a fun fun experience. I encourage your listeners to give that a try. And if you're not, uh, you know, if you don't have antennas for 160, listen on one on 80, uh, and I think you'll just be surprised what you can hear. And and that's pretty easy to find, especially online. I mean, you can go find where the gray line is at any any given time. There's yeah, that. there's some there's some really um, there's some really nice uh, uh, programs uh, that you can you know download for free that'll uh, that you can certainly um, you know download and, and load up. Okay. Now, speaking of downloading DX cluster, uh, I hear the guys on our local 220 machines, and they're always talking, hey, seen this on the cluster. I've seen this on the cluster. My DX cluster is my VFO. I, I don't have the Internet connectivity to sit here and to, to keep up where people are. But explain to us what the DX cluster is and how you use it uh, regarding uh, spotting calls and making contacts. Yeah, there's some really great uh, DX clusters out there. There's uh, it was a DX Summit uh, where you can uh, take a look at where the activity is. Uh, I used it when I was uh, very new to the hobby, and of course, well, I shouldn't say that because <laughs> you know it wasn't that new itself. But when it first came online, I spent a lot of time uh, you know looking to see where different parts of the world were coming alive. Uh, you know what was uh, you know happening in Europe, what was happening in South Africa. And then uh, making sure that I could, you know, be sitting on those frequencies, listening, listening again, uh, and you know, working that DX, uh, you know, as I as I possibly could. I got you. Now, is there uh, is there any other tools, any other avenues that we can kind of outside of maybe listening to our local repeaters where guys are talking back and forth if they're chasing DX? Is, are there other tools that we can use to to find out where folks are at? Well, again, I you know there's a pretty good. I mean, my my main tool, and uh, certainly I use it uh, extensively in contests, is is a DX packet clusters. In fact, I ran one for for a number of years, probably ten years uh, myself. It was uh, uh, w1gq.net uh, telnet, um, and you know it was just a uh, a way to. You know, I provide or give back into the community, so I, I, I built it and put it on the air. But, uh, no, I think the DX uh, Summit, uh, these DX uh, clusters are, are probably one of the best ways to find out what's going on in different parts of the world. Do you have any good operating tips, uh, any good ways uh, that we can put in our back pocket so when we get on the air we can remember this uh, for, for operating DX? You know, like if we're just kind of a casual guy, I, I get an hour and a half away from the family, and I can go into the shack. Where, where's a good place for us to start? Well, I think the uh, as far as uh, uh, starting in, in uh, on the bands or starting. Well, you know, we walk into our shack. And we're like, I'd like to find some DX. Of course, we, we can go look at the cluster and see where folks are. But are, are there any ways that will help uh, help the odds stack the odds in our favor at all? Well, it depends on. I mean, I, I personally go in the shack at all times, of day and night, and, and I, you know, they all have their different uh, challenges. So, but to be direct to your question, you know, I, I think it's just the fun of DXing is just turning down the radio, uh, tuning up and down the bands, and listening to what is what is taking place. Um, yeah, I think the DX cluster is is a good way to kind of hedge your bets. If you want to work a particular country, if there's a de-expedition, uh, you can find out where they are and, and you know just immediately go to it. But the joy, and again, it comes back of uh, you know harking all the way back to when I was a child. Nothing like turning on the radio uh, and just listening to what is happening on the band, seeing if Europe is open, Japan is open, uh, who's working what. 
Um, I, I get joy listening to others, uh, different parts of the world, and just seeing kind of what's happening on the bands. And then that will lead me to what I want to do. In other words, uh, if I see Europe is open and uh, you know I, I want to work a couple of stations, I'll just put out a CQ and see what comes back. Or I'll listen for CQs and, and then uh, respond to them. You know, a lot of guys, my, myself included, uh, are, are general class licensees. And we, we look at the band plan from the ARRL and we're like, well, we get a little bit more here and a little bit more there. But uh, tell us about what we're not experiencing by not having the extra class license to get that extra bit of the bands. Well, there's, there's activity uh, on that extra bits of the bands, as you say. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly you know, enjoy that, that full privilege of being an extra, uh, but... You know the DX. Uh, if you're if you're a modest station and you're you're beginning, a general class uh, is fine. Uh, but as you start to become more serious, uh, going after some of these DX expeditions like Bovet Island, as I as I mentioned, um, you know they may be sitting right there on the edge of the frequency or over in the extra or advanced band, uh, and you're going to need that class of license to work them. If 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 your opera if your Desire is just to work some DX once in a while. The general's fine. If you want to start uh, really chasing DX and going after those awards, you'll never know where they're going to be sitting, and you don't want to have to sit there and listen to them and can't work them. <laughs> so that's just uh, that's why. I, again, I, I just think that full privilege. If you really want to go chasing DX and, and start doing the uh, DXCC, it's important. Uh, real quick, this kind of backs into that. Uh, we, we know that CW is no longer required. It seems to me that there is a, a surge in people wanting to learn uh, and people learning and, and getting on the bands with Morse code. Uh, is that a trick to getting some of these DX, getting into this DX contest? Is CW really where it's at? Well, again, if you're working, as you said earlier, if there's 700,000 people calling uh, on SSB, that's a mess. Yeah. Uh, there, if you go to the, certainly I have more DX uh, countries on CW than I have voice because I like CW, but also it's, it's a little bit easier, the sense that you're not going to have as much competition. Uh, so chasing DX um, in, in CW, certainly if there's a big uh, pileup, uh, you're going to have just a little bit of a better uh, chance at it. The other thing, too, that that's and it and it's historical in, in, for me personally. Uh, you know, when I became a ham, uh, the radios were so cruddy uh, that uh, CW was pretty much the only mode that would work for me. The first tra uh, transmitter and receiver I had had AM and CW, um, so SSB wasn't even a part of that radio. So uh, CW is something that's kind of gotten my blood. I am surprised um, that as CW was you know, taken away as or, or no longer required uh, to become a you know extra or, or to to move uh, or to become licensed uh, that it didn't uh, it, it went up in popularity not down and that was a little bit of a surprise for me I didn't think that would happen. Well, you know, one of the reasons I stayed away from the hobby, although I really wanted to participate, was the code. Then I got licensed after the code went away. And, of course, then I start a podcast, which takes all the extra time away. But, yeah, I would really love to learn Morse code, and I don't have to. So it's it's almost, it's almost like a child, you know, when you tell them they can't have something, and, and then then you tell them they can, they're like, well, okay. You know, it's, it's almost like, I think it's just a psychology thing. Uh, by not being required or forced to do something, maybe folks are just like, hey, I'd like to learn that. I don't have to, but I'd like the challenge of it. 
and I appreciate what it can do. Yeah, and and uh, it's a challenge. There's no doubt <laughs> about it. You, you have to be very dedicated uh, to learn it. Um, and certainly these DX stations, and I and I can you know talk specifically about you know into Russia or uh, some of the Baltic states. Most of those uh, DX operators are really good CW operators because they were challenged uh, by equipment that maybe wasn't as uh, sophisticated or as good, um, and they sat on CW for years and years and became just a very proficient operator. Mm. So you know, working into different parts of the world, you'll find. And Japan's another uh, area that just you know, CW operators in Japan—they're just wonderful. They're very talented uh, wow. CW operators. Now, a few minutes ago, you were talking about working split. And uh, we we just barely tapped into that, but I know that's a big deal w- with a lot of DX. Can you give us a little rundown on what working split actually is? Sure. So when you're a DX station, um, you want to make sure that your calling frequency as you're transmitting is quiet, uh, so people can hear uh, you. And so what most DX uh, operators, certainly the DX expeditions, will listen up frequency five to ten. And the reason for that is to, to kind of spread out the crew, spread out the, the people who are calling them. Um, and so most uh, popular DX uh, will, will have to do that. Um, again, I've been on the receiving side of that. When you have thousands of stations calling you on your frequency, it's just awful to, to try to hear through all of those stations because they're all, you know, especially CW at times too, because they all, you know, your ear is an instrument, and it, it, it kind of follows music. Mm-hmm. So the tones, the way you hear DX uh, in a contest or expedition is you actually you hear it by tones. That's how you kind of parse out. The, the, the ear is just a wonderful thing. You can parse out the different stations by the tone of those stations. But when you have 1,000 or 2,000 simultaneously, those tones overlap, and you can't distinguish them. So what most expeditions will do or DX stations will just move people out. So you can have a clear calling frequency, and you can move people up and or out of the, uh, or kind of spread them out a little bit, so you can kind of tune your VFO up and down and make sure that you can pull out a station efficiently. And here on this end of working the DX, a lot of our rigs now have a split VFO or dual VFO, so that we can work one frequency and listen on the other, just like they're doing on the other end. Absolutely, and most of the modern radios, uh, I can't think of one that doesn't have that ability to to, to work split. And, uh, you know, part of the, the problem there is, uh, you know, you've got to listen on your calling frequency uh, to make sure that, you know, that station or stations around you are semi-clear and clean. Uh, listen to uh, what I like to do if I'm working a DX station is listen to other people make contacts with them. So you, as you're listening up, uh, listen for that exchange, you know, 599. And then that way you can sit there and go, okay, is that person, is the DX station moving that VFO up or VFO down? And kind of move yourself a, a little bit up or a little bit down. And kind of anticipation of that DX station landing on top of you. And then call CW at the appropriate time. You know, it's uh, you, you, you've said it a hundred times. Well, maybe not a hundred, but we've said it a lot today. Listening is so important. And uh, that's a really big deal in this hobby. You know, a lot of people think ham radio, it's all about talking. But it's, uh, it's really shortwave listening with the opportunity to talk if you'd like, whether you're talking with a, a paddle or, you know, a key or whatnot. But it's, you can't talk to someone if you're not listening to them. Well, absolutely. And, and 
and I hear this because I've observed uh, over the decades of being a ham operator uh, different uh, DX stations, and it's amazing how many people will call CQ or uh, you know, put their call in uh, while the DX station is uh, either working somebody else or calling. Uh, somebody else, and and so you just—that's where that seven hundred thousand you said earlier uh, becomes just a mess. Listen, listen. I, and it's the only tip that I could I could give that that you know just worked years and years. Uh, and again, I've worked every station except to North Korea, or every part of the world, as you say, except North Korea, by being very patient, listening, and working very efficiently. Right. And that goes back to the code of conduct. I mean, we could have an entire program on just the DX code of conduct, but it is to uh, to wait till they're ready to get your call before you start sending your call. And I could get, I could soapbox that to death. From my little poor station here in the upstate of South Carolina, that has been one of the most frustrating things. It's just folks just aren't using common sense and uh, uh, manners, for lack of a better term. Well, and also I think it has to do with frustration, um, you know, and I, and I think the, our hobby, uh, as the radios become more sophisticated and as people spend more and more money on these radios, as they uh, decide to, you know, uh, you know, take the station from modest to on up, uh, they feel that it, it's going to just solve that problem. It doesn't. Uh, I don't care if you are a QRP station or you're running a serious uh, stack Yaggies and all that wonderful stuff. Um, you still have to listen. You have to be courteous uh, and and not assume anything. Uh, but I hear the frustration on the bands. Uh, certainly, when the station becomes uh, or the station's rare uh, and, and has been on for ten, fifteen years, everybody wants that country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just feel the tension in the air. Uh, and there's where um, I think everybody just needs to take a deep breath and and uh, listen and, and be courteous if you can. And remember, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, although I have to say, uh, you know, I'm probably guilty of a little bit uh, of that excitement and, and a little over <laughs> overzealous myself. But I think after uh, after all the years, I kind of look back and, and boy, uh, you know, I think it's a, it, it can be fun. It should be fun if you just kind of take a deep breath and, and go after it in a, in a careful way. I got you. Now, you spoke earlier about some awards, and guys, we've been talking about DXing. We've been talking about making the distant contact, the rare and even the not-so-rare contacts. But, you know, I've found that everyone that I've made that's further than I think I should be able to talk uh, DX or even within the States, I've been pretty tickled. Like you said, you get that little, that little, that little twinge in your belly, for lack of a better term. But uh, tell me about some awards because this isn't done just, well, it can be done just for fun, but there are a lot of people that chase paper and paper being awards that you can receive from the different, uh, the different folks that uh, provide those. Tell us a little bit about that before we let you go. Sure. No, I, the, the number one for DX is DXCC by the aid of RL. Um, that seems to be kind of the gold standard. There are certainly other uh, awards uh, either – uh, with CQ um, magazine and, and, and around the globe, but kind of the gold standard. Uh, and who does publish the uh, you know the list for countries uh, that are recognized as countries for for chasing DX is the AWRL uh, DXCC. And then there's the Work All Continents, um, which is another AWRL award. Um, that one's pretty straightforward though, because uh, working every continent uh, is is you know it's a challenge, but it's not a, a deep challenge. Getting back to DXCC, um, certainly they have an authorized list of countries, uh, and that's interesting to follow just because you kind of get a feel for what the different parts of the world are are all about. 
Um, and then it's, it's also broken down by mode, so CW, uh, certainly SSB, et cetera, and by bands. Uh, there's five-band DXCC, so you have to work over 100 countries from all five bands. Um, there's just various flavors of it, and, and all of it can be uh, uh, fun. I, I have a shack full of paper, and I, and I look at it and kind of get a smile. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. Well, there's, you know, there's rewards in most every hobby. You know, this is more than just uh, a golf game or, or whatnot. I mean, that takes an investment of time. It takes an investment of income. And this is no different. It's a hobby with uh, with a reward. You you get the reward of, you know, getting the hole-in-one in golf. You get the reward in amateur radio making the contact and then getting the paper to put on the wall for the contact. Absolutely. and But it's 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 really a self-award. I mean, I my wife will will come into the shack and and look at it, and you know she doesn't know what it means, and I can't really explain it to her, and I can't tell her why I'm really doing it. So it's it's really a self award, which right. is kind of funny because although you know AWRL and CQ Magazine they'll they'll publish all the you know where you stand, where you rank, and, and such, but at the end of the day, it's really your self award, um, and it's that pride that I've you know I worked various countries, different bands, different modes. Uh, and, and again, I think it's one of those, uh, you know, self-recognition things that you kind of get pride after, uh, right. or pride for. Well, you know, uh, Bruce is a, uh, a, a dedicated DXer, but we're going to talk to him again pretty soon. We're going to talk about contesting. Uh, he doesn't have four towers in his backyard just to make distant contacts because he's got buddies in Nepal. You know, Bruce is uh, Bruce is working it pretty hard. So we'll we'll be back uh, before too long with Bruce, and we're going to continue that conversation. George, you're in here still with us. Uh, anything out there that uh, we might have forgotten that you thought uh, Bruce needs to share with the group here before we let him go? Boy, I think you guys really covered uh, the terrain really, really well. Um, I guess the um, the only thing that that sort of pops into my mind kind of gets back to the question of equipment. Um, and, and certainly Bruce, you know, you could, as you said, you could work DX with, with a modest station or an elaborate station, but, um, for the guy who's already got, um, a typical, let's say average quality kind of station, like, uh, you know, an ICOM 706 or, uh, you know, the thousand dollar kind of caliber radio, um, from a practical point of view, do you see that, uh, getting a fancier radio will really make much of a difference, uh, or do you think that's just kind of unnecessary? Ooh, that's a that's a tough question because I've taken the bait, right? I I buy every <laughs> yes expensive radio I can find, uh, and and does it really make that much difference? Probably not. Um, again, it's all about listening in your skills uh, more than it is about the radio. However. Um, you know, the, the, the modern radios, the ICOM 7800 or the Kenwoods, uh, you know, all of them have just wonderful noise canceling uh, technology. Uh, you know, as you said or asked earlier about uh, split frequencies, you know, both transmitted, you know, they've got two uh, uh, wonderful receivers and a good transmitter. So I, I think, you know, working DX is kind of a personal thing. In a modest station, you can have just nothing but a boatload of fun. I, I just I, I can tell you that when I was 13 with a cruddy radio, I had just as much fun because I worked Japan from from Palos Verdes that I do today when I turn on the radio and I have some really high end radios. I turn on the radio and I work into South Africa. I have that same golden feeling 
And so to your direct question, I think it's kind of cool to have the, the, the newest technology. I don't think it's needed. Um, I think you're, you're, you know, that fun can be whatever you have. Should, should a man spend more on an antenna or more on a radio? More on the antenna. I'm a, I'm a big believer uh, in antennas um, because, frankly, with a nice antenna and a cruddy radio, you'll do pretty well. Uh, with a cruddy antenna and a great radio, you won't do much. Um, George and I had the privilege of uh, being in Japan uh, many years ago, and they, they, uh, we went to a ham radio store, and they had a vertical antenna with a 50-ohm resistor at the bottom of it. So it's so it's one to one visoir, but it was basically you're you're transmitting into a resistor, which, as we all well know, will not do too good. So so I'm a believer in antennas, uh, but also I've optimized both, right? right. I, you know, and, and then you get into the other kind of the off the reservation kind of conversations, which you know, then you look at okay, I need uh, massive uh, hard line to make sure that there's no loss to the antennas. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> that's where that's where the money uh, p- t- takes place. Right, right. Well, man, we've really enjoyed having you, and we can't wait to have you back on again. And we'll continue the conversation DX in the contesting because uh, they they really walk hand in hand together. And to do one well, you really need to understand the other. But, uh, Bruce, we've enjoyed having you. We look forward to having you back again. His call is Whiskey One Golf Quebec. His name is Bruce Jewett, along with George Zaff. And I'm not going to say the rest of it because I'll say it wrong. But uh, appreciate you both being on here with us. And we'll look forward to chatting with you again, Bruce. Thank you again. Thank you, George. Great. Thank you, 73s. All right. So thank you, Bruce. Thank you, George. Appreciate you guys both being on here. In the show notes, we've got uh, all the links of things we talk about there. You can find it at photimepodcast.com. Photimepodcast.com. Uh, Bruce is called Whiskey One Golf Quebec. Maybe you'll find him on the air and make a contact. Let him know you heard him here on the Photime Podcast. And, and Bruce is coming back in a few weeks. We're going to talk about contesting. So we're going to take what we've learned today about DXing and put it into practice with contesting so make sure you come back for that one as well uh we got a d-star show that george and jeremy are working on and some other things so don't miss a program and if you do uh, just subscribe to the program you can do that on itunes or any of your favorite listening services subscribe every time we release a show it puts it in your mailbox and if you're interested in becoming a patron of the show check out our patreon link it's the circle p down there at the bottom of the website Join Donald Gover and others as they give to the uh, the show here to keep us going. Got a lot of great projects I'm going to be mentioning too as well regarding keeping the show going and adding to the shack and the recording capacity here at the Photime Ranch. So, guys, thank you so much for participating, for listening, for commenting, for just giving us a reason to continue making this show. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but we really enjoy being a part of your amateur radio hobby. We sincerely thank you and hope you come back next time. My name's Kale. We'll see you then. God bless you. 73, y'all. Thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing to AmateurRadio15.com presents Bowtime, the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bowtime Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at mtcradio.com. Till next time, 73s.